Hi, I'm Marshall Ramsey. For years, I've drawn the most interesting people in Mississippi. Now, I get to interview them, too. Welcome to Conversations Podcast, where I sit down with the famous and folks who should be famous, and we just talk. Just when you thought you had seen every possible image from the turbulent civil rights period, comes a new book with never-before-published photographs. A Past That Won't Rest, Images of the Civil Rights Movement in Mississippi contains the work of the late photographer Jim Lucas. And the story behind the publishing of this book is almost as fascinating as the book itself. Former Jackson resident Jane Hearn knew she was sitting on a treasure trove of photographs, and she decided to do something about it. Thanks for being here. Thank you for having me. Your late husband, Jim Lucas, Mm -hmm. um, died in a car wreck in 1980, way too young. Mm -hmm. You had all of his negatives and everything in a filing cabinet or in a closet? Oh, yes. He had organ- He was very organized, so he had everything in a filing cabinet, which stayed with me all those years. Mm-hmm. And uh, I didn't really know much about what was in it. I'd ask him one time, why, do you, why are you saving all of this? And he said, well, there's a lot of history there. So I did know that you say he was the campus photographer at Murrah High School mm-hmm. and at Millsaps. So there were tons of photographs of all matter of college life. And then there were also um, just news things that he had covered here in Jackson or the inauguration of new governor mm-hmm. and things like that that he had, he had covered. Now, he was shooting for the Jackson Daily News when he was, he started when he was 14, shooting for the Jackson Daily News and continued that all through the time he was in college. But uh, he, he had decided he wanted to be a photojournalist. So he was also very savvy to the fact that he wanted to get his work published in, uh, in, in a larger uh, format. You know, in other words, he wanted to go national. He seemed to have a knack of, like, he, he would come along and you would see somebody with a CBS logo. Yeah, that's he, what he did. Yeah, was, he, had a, he had a really good ability to be able to say, hey, over here. But yeah. his work also uh, obviously caught their attention, too. Well, actually, he just got on with CBS as a runner. So, oh, really? Oh, yes. Yeah, so he would probably, um, he would run film. And, mm-hmm. and at the end of the day, he would run the film to the airport. Or if they needed something in Jackson, he'd have to run to Jackson. See, they as soon as they hired him, they took him over to um, Meridian in Philadelphia, where everything was going on. Because at that time, the reason they were there is because of the search for uh, Schwerner, Goodman, and Cheney. So, and there were just tons of journalists all over town. So and, that helped him get him on the scene, literally on the scene of what right. history. Right, so he got access, yeah. actually, to what was going on and the search itself. And uh, he was able to use his still camera mm-hmm. while still assisting the film crew. Well, how did he get trained in photography? I mean, was this something just a hobby of his? or It just started out, I think, yes. He, was he had an incredible self, eye. Self-trained. Yeah. And very, very good technical ability because yeah. he was a did his own darkroom work of course mm-hmm. and, and uh just with all the it, it, he just did it a long time and went to a i think there were workshops for photojournalist workshops and he was in high school going to those and you know they were professional he was around professionals 
So. It, it, it reminded me of like Curtis Wilkie writing when he was 18 years old, writing you know about civil rights stuff. He was shooting stuff that looked like he it was being shot by somebody maybe 40 years old or 50 years old. I mean, when he was 18, 20 years old, I uh -huh. mean, the way he would be able to frame it and cap capture the story and so forth. And, yeah. and you said that a lot of that was just natural talent. Well, he had a sensitivity to his yeah. subject, yeah. and uh, it it came th uh, came over. You know, that's just something. Maybe that part is innate. But then he has, he really honed in on the technical aspect. I know one time he told me that he used one type of film for a year. Oh, wow. Just to gauge how it would, it would work in all kinds of different situations. So he had a patience that was kind of amazing. You know, I mean, and of course I grew up reading about the civil rights era and, and it had just ended about the time I was a kid. And, you read about it and you don't sense, well, you sense it was a tough time, it was difficult. You see these photographs and you realize it was a war. And he was right there in the middle of it. It was very tense here. Yeah. You know, he was I was, a blonde-headed guy, you know, running around, possibly getting shot at. I mean, it's just incredible. That's right. He held his, his uh, cameras close. Yeah. You know, but of course, in that point, point of time, they didn't like outside agitators, and the press was considered right. an outside agitator. And, but no one knew. I mean, they knew he was a local guy, yeah. but not everyone knew that. So. Yeah, tell us about a couple. There was a couple times when he really had to, um, had to think on his feet to be able to, to get where he was going safely. Oh, yeah, the time that they put him in the trunk of a car to take him to Byram, there was a planning meeting going on. And uh, anyway, he was going to go cover that, but he, he, it wouldn't have been, he was very blonde, you know, almost white-headed. And so he was, they stuck him in the trunk, took him out that way, so. And then coming back from Meridian, he, yeah. he felt Some like nights he was quite nervous. Yeah. He was driving by himself to get filmed back to Jackson. I know we live in this era now where we don't even think about it because we're like, oh, we can take a picture and just send it to the cell phone tower. But back then he had to run it back to the, to the TV station. Yeah, in the middle of the night. Wow, mm -hmm. which nothing good happens in the middle of the night, <laughs> definitely. Well, you know, by the time you guys had gotten married, um, he was into movie, motion pictures and movies at that point, so. He was shooting film during his whole time in the Army. And uh, he was not shooting combat footage, but he was, he was shooting non-combat footage. Okay. So when he got out, he wanted to pursue um, film work. And uh, for a few years, uh, he worked on advertising the Mississippi State Playback Show. I don't mm -hmm. know if you remember mm -hmm. playback shows. And then he covered news for NBC, and he did a couple of 60-minute segments. Wow. So he was, he was getting known a bit, and then any time he could, he would try to get on a feature film. And he had a break with Thieves Like Us. That was the first mm -hmm. feature film he worked on. And that was shot up in Greenwood. It was a Bob Altman pic uh, picture. And uh, then from there, he really got the bug, and that's what he wanted to do. So he was working on, um, gradually, he was getting known in the industry, even though most of those crews were put together in L.A. Mm -hmm. It's kind of hard being in Mississippi and get on an L.A. crew, but he was picking up some work, and I think Honeysuckle Rose was one of the ones that he really enjoyed working on. 
and he worked on um, The Border, if you mm -hmm. recall, Jack Nicholson. And uh, he was working on Barbarossa with Willie Nelson when he was when he had the automobile accident. It was out in Texas, right? Uh -huh. Yeah. So at that point, you know, obviously for many, many years, you probably didn't think anything about the, the, the negatives and the photographs and everything. Talk about the day when you suddenly started going through them and said, oh, I think I have something here. Well, um, we were, uh, my husband and I were going to uh, move to South Carolina. Mm -hmm. And it seemed that I needed to leave that, that treasure of, photographs with archives and history. Yeah. So they were kind enough to let me come up there and and we were talking about leaving it there, but I felt like I needed to go through it first. Right. Just to know what was in it. Mm -hmm. And as I did that, and I did that over a course of quite a few weeks, I realized that there was so much there that that needed to be shown to a larger audience. And so I I decided to put that gift on hold and decided what to do with it. What what would I do with it? And thought, well, I could at least do an exhibit. So a mutual friend, I, I was talking to this friend of mine, and I said, what, how am I going to get this done? And he says, you need to call Red Morgan. Red was is a professional photojournalist himself, semi-retired and living in Florida. So it turns out I called Red and I sent he said, send me some send me some of those images to take a look at. And as soon as he saw the images, he said, I'll help you. Yeah. Yeah. So he did all the techno clean technical cleanup. I did all I, we scanned and copyrighted and then we had to go we started editing and we pulled out thirty five images and made those into an exhibit. Mm -hmm which opened in 2014 at the 50th anniversary of the Veterans for Civil Rights for the Freedom Summer mm -hmm. veterans, and that was at Tougaloo College. And then from there, um, the Mississippi Humanities Council said, we think you need some text panels with this, with this exhibit. And we, they were kind enough to help me uh, tour the exhibit across Mississippi for a year and a half. So we went to 13 different venues around the state. And uh, then after that, uh, Red and I started working on a website with a guy named Norman Rowland, who's just a terrific web designer. And that took a year. And then, then the exhibit, we mined for more photographs during all mm. of that time. And we had enough photographs for a book. And so the book kind of grew out of that, and the exhibit expanded and now it's now 65 pieces and it's toured um, to the National Civil Rights Museum wow. in Memphis and also to the Brown versus Board of Education historic site in Topeka, Kansas. And it's going to be at, um, at uh, University of South Carolina, Beaufort, where I live now, uh, next March. So it'll be going, you know, it'll start going on and it's been renamed a past that won't mm -hmm. rest. And the book now is a companion piece to that. How many how many pictures are in the book? I believe a hundred and three or a hundred ten, something like that. So total, I mean, ballpark. Like you said, he had a lot of photographs of, of just everyday life and so forth too. But how many photographs did you have to to choose from to get that? Um, I scanned fifty five hundred civil did rights. Did you really? Book. 
Wow. Civil rights photographs. 5,500. Uh-huh. So you, your hand was tired. Well, yeah. <laughs> so, but I mean, you had like negative, just traditional negatives and you stuck it in the scanner Yes, that I way? have the vintage negatives. Yeah. And, well, I was able to scan them as contact sheets. Okay. And you can, and then I was able to copyright them in contact sheet form. Oh, that's good. Which certainly helped a lot. But then it was amazing how they would just come up. You'd think you had gone through it again, and then you'd go through it again, and here's here's another one. Oh, this is good. You know, it was so much fun, and it was so much fun that Red helped me because it, there were two of us working. It wasn't, mm-hmm. it wasn't a lone thing. It was a real joy to do this and to research these pictures and who's in them and for me, it was really an educational experience. Well, Jim was kind of standing over your shoulder on it, too, because, he, like you said, he was so organized uh-huh. that it made it pretty easy that you actually had, yeah. you, know, you could, because I would, I would think if anybody was coming in with my cartoon collection and trying to pull it up, they would just look at him and go, I give up, because I'm not organized. <laughs> so, I mean, I understand what, what a value that was of it. So, and also, too, you were on the yearbook staff, weren't you, in Burroughs? So, you, you have some experience. No, this on, was in college. Oh, in college. Uh-huh. That's all. You were a professional. Excuse well, that me, was I'm, my... That was my uh, book designing career <laughs> until but, this. Well, and I was going to ask, too, because I think one of the things that really, the, the photographs are amazing and they're very powerful. The people that you got to write the intros of each section are uh-huh. wonderful, too. Talk about them and how you came about getting them to help you out with the book. Well, as I started doing research, I came upon their work because I'm, everybody either was working on a book or had a book out. Right. And so I was very fortunate that, um, like Stanley Nelson, when I called him, I knew that he was working on the cold case mm-hmm. project and that he knew about the Warless Jackson, you know, yeah. all about the Warless Jackson murders and Natchez. So he was just delightful, and they were all so wonderful to work with. And... Uh, Red knew Charles Overby. They had worked together in he was Florida. From here, from Jackson, also. Yeah. 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 Now that was something for the for the preface. I really was looking for someone who was intent on pursuing a journalistic career, like mm-hmm. Jim was at an early age, who okay. knew what they wanted to do, and Charles fit that bill exactly. Perfectly. Yeah, because he was. I mean, he was. A teenager writing for the Jackson Daily News and the Clarion Ledger also. That's right. Point. Yeah. And so when I called him up, I said, I've looked through all of the, I can't find you in the Murrah yearbooks. And he said, well, that's because I went to Provine. Uh, <laughs> so, uh, a little rivalry you going on that, there. You know how that was then. But anyway, um, he agreed to do it. But uh, he didn't know Jim. They didn't know each other. But yeah. they, they were on a similar track. On a parallel track, so uh, that that was really fortunate that he agreed to to do the in- introduction, and uh, I think it's real good. I pulled, you know, went through the book and, and kind of picked out some of my favorites, and it was hard picking out my, some of my favorites because they're all so incredibly powerful. 1964, obviously, the the civil rights workers went, went missing. And Jim was right up there in the middle of it, and some of the photographs that he got are chilling, to be really honest mm-hmm. with you, and some angles and, and perspectives that I had never seen before. There was one of them where there was Deputy Sheriff Cecil Price escorting Dick Gregory. Oh, I know, and all of the body language 
in that photograph is incredible. Every one of those, you had state troopers and county um, lawmen, you know, and it was just uh, the tension is You could see it, palpable. the nonverbals, you know. That's right. It was very, very strong. And, right. you know, Cecil Price kept showing up in oh, yeah. several of the photographs. And, and the one I think that set chills up my spine the most was when the bodies were arriving at UMC. Yes, and he was helping pull the bodies was, out of the out of the hearse onto the gurney. Yeah, wow, it's pretty creepy. Yeah, really is, and, and mm -hmm. it just, um, yeah, that's the best I could say on that one. In 1966, of course, James Meredith, who had just a few years before helped integrate Ole Miss, had decided to do his march against fear uh, to say that he could walk through Mississippi. Didn't mm -hmm. make it very far. Not very far. Made a tornado. Was shot. That kind of basically started a whole different ball. I mean, because he was kind of almost by himself until that point. Yeah, I think he wanted to be by himself. He, yeah. You know, but his mission was to register people to vote. Right. That was the whole reason for his march. And uh, so all of these people came. It was over like a two-week period. Mm -hmm. And people came and went. But there were always people there, and they were registering people along the way. Um, and I think that that showed the real grassroots efforts of the mm -hmm. movement because people, you know, brought food from their houses or brought, you know, assistance. And then they there's a picture in the book about. Uh, it's a truck, and uh, it's actually a, kind of a homemade uh, portalette truck, you know. So all of this had to be kind of kind of be constructed along the way, you know. All and uh, and then there's also a shot of uh, the front of a truck with the bologna sandwiches. People I love that one. There's sandwiches, sandwiches everywhere. Yeah. Right. You've got to understand the logistics behind it because, you know, you hear about it a lot, but he managed to catch it on a day when the bigwigs weren't there, the leaders, where they were in Yazoo City. Because, I mean, I, a lot of people don't understand that there was like every angle of the civil rights movement was kind of almost butting heads during that at that time. Mm -hmm. And so the day that he was taking photographs, he just catches the people. Well, that's right. That's yeah. right, but he, he really catches the grassroots, yeah. and so that's what that whole section really is is amazing. And you've got people, all kinds of people. There were also the um, the people from New York that started the um, medical group, right. you know, and they were bandaging people's Wrapping feet. feet. And, mm -hmm. Yeah, that was really mm -hmm. powerful, and I love the three generation of women right in front of the post office, I think in Bentonia. Sitting, sitting there watching Benton. Benton. Oh, it was in Benton. Okay, uh -huh. it was in Benton. They were sitting there watching him go right. go by at the post office. That was so yeah. strong, and they were so proud. You know, um, you can see that they're very proud of what's going on. There was one photograph where it had a guy holding a sign that said, "No Viet Cong ever called me the N word," which mm -hmm. it actually had it on there. Mm -hmm. That was strong. Just you know, they did such a great job. There was a hearing here in Jackson with several U.S. senators, including Senator John Stennis and Marion Wright, 
who was the first African-American woman to pass the bar in Mississippi, if I'm if I'm Right. Yeah. And she was like 25 years 25 old. 25 years old, just sharp as a tack. Mm-hmm. And, she, you know, and I love the photographs. Bobby Kennedy was there, was one of the senators. But a couple of the senators, under the bright lights like we are right now, had their sunglasses on too, mm-hmm. which I thought was kind of funny. <laughs> but he really captured that tension between Marion Wright, who actually had the quote-unquote nerve to confront a U.S. senator. That's right. But, you know, so I'm thinking about all these experiences so far you've seen in the pictures. He never really ever mentioned that to you, did he, that he, that he was in the middle of all that? When you were no, married? we were really, you know, we were young and we were trying to, our future was what we were worried about. We were worried about where, that, yeah. where the next call was coming from. Was it going to be maybe from NBC or maybe somebody calling for a, you know, a movie or something, wow. some job, you know, those feast or famine sort of, uh, sort of. Well, a lot of young couples go through. It's like, mm-hmm. hey, where's that next paycheck coming from? Mm-hmm. So, yeah, food's mm-hmm. a good thing. After the the hearings, Senator Kennedy went to Green Greenville, and uh, this was, I guess, 1967. Yeah, went yeah. up to go visit the Sacred Heart School, and there's some incredibly powerful photographs that he took. Actually, I think some of the best photos of Bobby Kennedy I've ever seen. Oh, or, well. You know, there's one with, he's completely surrounded by the kids at the uh-huh. school. You can just tell there, and he's so humble. You can see that he, yeah. you know, but they are so delighted to see him. He's, it's, there's just a lot of warmth and love in those pictures. Yeah, and you would think if, if you know, the way that Jim was able to take photographs, you would think that if there was any phoniness to it, it would have come out in at least one of the pictures, and it didn't seem to in any of them. No, no, I think he really connected uh, with his subjects. Yeah. The bombing here in Jackson, the Temple Beth Israel Synagogue, those, and I've never seen any pictures of those. And they show, obviously, there's a picture of the actual bomb hole in the side of the synagogue, and, and of course, the rabbi's house was blown up. There is one picture, though, that, that jumped out at me because it's um, a friend of mine's dad, house got blown up. Bob Katichke. Yes, and his son Chris is in his mom's arms uh-huh. in the picture as a baby. Uh-huh. So I saw that picture and I was like, that's Chris. So I, I took a quick picture of it, sent it to him, and he bought a book right away. So oh, good. He, he's on that. But I mean, you know, I don't think a lot of people even realize that that happened here in Jackson. Oh, that was in, that house is in Bellhaven. Um, and then well, I think those bombings happened around in the same month, you know, yeah. the synagogue and the, the rabbi's home. And the rabbi lived on O'Canton Road, just a, a block from, say, Dilling School. So Really? Mm-hmm. Okay. So just right down the street on mm-hmm. that. Some The pickets on Capitol Street, so they're, the photographs there, and... You know, of course, Capitol Street looks much different then than it did to, does today. Yes. It's obviously it's been it's changed quite a bit on that. But I mean, talk about that because he was able to catch capture some really great shots of Charles Evers and of, of the, the picketers and so forth. Well, there there's one that is the uh, Poor People's March that Charles Evers um, organized, and yeah. this was way before the Poor People's March that's so, fam- you know, that's so famous. This is, was in, I think, 67. Yeah. And uh, that, there's one where they're coming down the street, Charles Evers and Aaron Henry, mm-hmm. and then R.L.T. Smith, 
who I had never seen another picture of him. I'm sure there's some, but um, that was like a swath of people coming down the street. So, And they were marching from the Masonic Temple on Lynch Street to the Capitol. Mm-hmm. To the Capitol. Mm-hmm. There's one, one photograph of the Capitol that's got um, a rather chilling face in front of it, Byron de la Beckwith, the portrait of him in front of the Capitol. It just kind of shows you how much the, it kind of, to me, it said, okay, this is how much the state was involved in all this. I can only suppose that he hired Jim to do a photo shoot of himself. Yeah. Because in that whole, there was a whole um, roll of film that had him at the Canon. It had him, the one we showed. There were at the Magnolia Tree. I mean, you know, there were just all of these set up shots of him, mm-hmm. himself. <laughs> like glamour shots back in the right. 60s. Wow. But we chose the one with him, with the capital behind him, mm-hmm. because the Sovereignty Commission was part of state government and yeah. they were behind him. That was a really, really powerful photograph. Mm-hmm. Last question, I, I think probably going to be the hardest question, but did you have a favorite in the whole book? I think the one I put on the cover is one of my favorites, the one of the young men, I call it young men marching. And uh, it just sort of, there's marching through the whole, through all of the events and uh, that one. And then there's one of Kennedy walking away from some of those shacks in the Mm -hmm. Delta. And he has a look on his face that's just, just sad and puzzled and just like, what is this, you know? Because he had said that it was worse than anything he'd seen in any mm-hmm. third world country. Mm-hmm. That was great. Mm-hmm. His she, disgust was evident. Very real. And uh-huh. Jim captured it. And that's, I think, the, the greatest compliment I can say about his photography and of the book is the fact that he, he really could capture humanity. And he did it really well. Well, I hope everyone enjoys this book because it was a joy to put it together and to find all of this work and... Hopefully, now Jim will be have a place among all those wonderful photojournalists and 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 photographer, photographers that are um, known for the civil rights era. Well, thank you for sitting down with us thank today. Thank you so much. I'm Marshall Ramsey. Thanks for listening today. Subscribe to this podcast to be updated on new episodes. Conversations is produced by Mississippi Public Broadcasting.